How many of you here are familiar with YouTube? Most are, isn't it? Okay. Did you know that there are videos on YouTube that is tagged under the title Instant Retribution or Instant Justice? Did you know that? These are a collection of real-life footages that are usually extracted from street surveillance cameras or vehicles dash cameras. And as their text suggests, these are footages captured of instant justice, or they claim that it's instant justice. For example, one video shows a nasty driver ridiculously cutting lanes, but as he got busy honking and pointing his finger, he drove right into a tram and smashed his car. Instant justice. Or on another occasion, another man in Malaysia double parked, and right behind him came a truck that rammed it all across and he was swept to the side of the road. Instant justice. These videos, as you would know, it's uh, very popular. Do you think you enjoy these videos? I think so. Most of us would have said something like this along these lines. Look, they are getting away with it again. After all that they have blatantly done, they are getting away with it again. It's a very common sentiment we all experience in our life, isn't it? Regardless of which country you live in, where we work or who we deal with, somewhere in your life, you must have been confronted with the question, after all the evil that they have done, are they just going to get away with it? Each of us who have read, have witnessed, and have experienced different degrees of injustice and evil, lies and deception and corruption in our lives. So what do you think? Do you think the perpetrators will get away with it? Do you think they will just walk free? On the flip side of the coin, how about you and me? If you're like me, there have been times in my life that I feared if I will get away with it. If I will get away with the different evil, whether big or small, that I've done and accumulated through my lives. Do you think you will get away with it? Well, tonight, as we continue our study on the book of Revelation, we will see what God has to say about this matter. But first, let me recap Revelation for you very briefly. Revelation is about God revealing to his people. He's revealing to his people the truth behind what we can merely observe by sight. I imagine God in Revelation to be like a trained mechanic. He opens up the hood of our world and he shows us what is really going on on the inside. And he shows us where our world is heading. And he does so by giving us various spiritual visions. The very first thing that he did at the beginning of the book in chapter 1 to 3 is to give us a clear vision of Jesus. Jesus is revealed to us as the key to the fate of our world, the key to the fate of each of our lives here. His historical death and resurrection has changed the world completely. And then last week, in chapter 4 and 5, we were given another vision. And now it's a vision of heaven through a door that we peep through. And we get to see Jesus again in this vision. And now he's appearing as a conquering lion and the slain lamb. And then we saw a heavenly scroll at God's right hand. 
as he sits on the throne. And this scroll is painfully waiting to be opened. And he found out that no one except Jesus is worthy to approach God's throne to take and open that scroll. And why? Because only Jesus was slain for God's people. And we'll see more of that scroll today. So through that glimpse into heaven, it is also made clear to us who is really in charge of this world. It is not POTUS, it's not Gates or Cook, it's not even the nation's leaders, whether they are good or bad, that are in charge. It is God who is in charge of this world. And we saw that literally as God sat on the throne ruling the world when we peep into heaven. The slain lamb is currently ruling the world with him. And that revelation say is reality. But it's a reality that you and I don't see and can't see if we interpret the world and its events merely through earthly perspectives and values and not through God's revelation. Well, today in Revelation 6 and 7, he continues to give us a spiritual vision to interpret our world. We will see Jesus, the new exalted and installed king of heaven and earth, opening seven seals on the heavenly scroll. A scroll with seven seals. We'll see him doing that all the way, if you can flip the Bible with me, all the way, not to the end of chapter 7, but all the way to chapter 8, verse 1, and that's when he opened the seventh seal. And that's why our reading is all the way to 8, verse 1. Okay? So that's where we are heading. All the way from 6, 1 to 8, 1, we'll be looking at Jesus opening seven seals. Okay? But before we look at these seals, I want to re- you to remember that Revelation speaks with a very strong apocalyptic and Old Testament language. Remember that? As I mentioned before, there are not many direct Old Testament quotations in Revelation, but this book is pregnant with Old Testament images and ideas. We find them in Ezekiel and Zechariah, in Isaiah and in Daniel. And all this apocalyptic speaks about a day. It speaks about a terrifying day and a dreadful day. And it is called the Day of the Lord. It is a day when God's wrath and judgment is unleashed against all human rebellion. It is a day when God will eliminate all evil from this world. And these seven seals that we are looking at today speaks of that judgment tone that we find in the apocalyptic literature. So let's take a look now at the first four seals. It begins in verse 1. Flip your Bible from verse chapter 6, verse 1. The four seals. What do we have? Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like a thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And his riders rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer when he opened the second seal i heard the second living creature say come and out came another horse bright red its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that man should slay one another and he was given a great sword When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. 
and his rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat, wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over the fourth of the earth, a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Give me a second. It's just blowing me. Thank you. All right, the first four seals. What came out from these four seals are commonly known by many of us um, as the four apocalypse horsemen. Right? The four horses and their riders, when taken together, they portray destruction and horror and terror. We see that in the picture. We see a picture of military conquest and war. We see bloodshed in infighting and self-destruction. We see unrest and famine and hunger and death. Now, let me ask you, are all these things new to us? Are there things that we have not yet seen in human history? Hunger and famine, war, conquest, bloodshed, self-destruction. Not really, isn't it? Sadly, we have seen them in one form or another. In our world, we had rulers and nations who lasted after conquests. They they embarked on wars. And they unleashed bloodshed and famine and destruction. These four seals seem to be showing us a series of horrendous images that we have seen repeating itself again and again and again in human history. World War II was supposedly known as the war that ends all wars. 17 million died, 20 million wounded. But merely 20 years later, we started World War II. A staggering 80 million died. And we have countless civil wars all over the world across all time. Bosnia, Nigeria, Sri Lanka, Somalia, Colombia, America, Europe, China, Iraq, you name it. We have the wars there. Notice that these horsemen are sent by God. God's angelic servants that we have been seeing since chapter 1, the four living creatures, they say, come, and then the horsemen came. You realize that? The first white rider had war victory. Why? Because it was given to him by God. The red horse rider took away peace, and then men started to slaughter each other. Why? It was because God permitted him to remove the restraint to allow men to fight. He had a great sword to kill, and the sword was given to him by God. The pale horse, the rider, he can kill with a sword, with famine, with pestilence, and with wild beasts. And that authority to kill was given by God. God is biblically and undeniably behind these horrific tribulations that we see. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? Very mind-boggling. But let's read on. Take a look at the fifth seal. 
verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain by the word of God. And for the witness they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Here we have a picture of Christians who suffered and died, killed, they are martyred. And they were martyred because they held firmly to the word of God and they bore witness to Jesus. And here they were pleading to God to judge and to punish those who dwell on earth. That is, those who have no heaven's perspective, those who are against God and therefore persecuted his people. These Christians long to see God's justice fully manifested and evil eradicated completely. And what's God's answer to them? God says, wait. Judgment will come. You have stood firm in your faith to the end, even unto death. You are now victorious. You have received your white robe. You have victory. But God is waiting for more victorious martyrs to join him. And then judgment will come. That's God's answer. So it seems to me, in the sixth seal that we're going to look at next, God is going to show them the assured judgment that will come. And in the sixth seal, we see this. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who, who can stand? This set of judgment and disturbances, so to speak, is much greater and much more catastrophic than the first four seals that we have seen, isn't it? It's of a different scale altogether. We have a picture of a ruined universe, a picture of complete breaking up of the entire cosmic system. In the Gospel, Jesus has spoken of such unprecedented cosmic destruction. You can look at it in Luke 21 and Mark 13. Luke 21 and Mark 13, Jesus spoke with similar language. 
This terrible phenomena involve, involving the sun and the moon and the stars falling from the sky are all associated in the gospel with the coming of the Son of Man. That is, it is associated with the second coming of Jesus when he returns to judge the whole world. Revelation picks up from the gospel and here he paints for us a picture of complete universal judgment. Verse 15 continues by saying, it says there, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide from us from his face of him who sits on the throne. For the wrath of the Lamb and the great day of the wrath has come. Who can stand? I think the point is this. God's judgment on the day of the Lord will be so complete, so thorough, so comprehensive, so meticulous that no one escapes. No matter who you are, no matter what positions you hold in society, whether you are rich or powerful, whether you are poor or slave, whether you are greats or you are generals, you are prime ministers or you are presidents, no one escapes. It is that comprehensive. Every single earth dweller who is rebelling against God will have to face the terrible wrath of the Lamb. Now, this is why I think the main point of the whole of chapter 6 is chapter 6 has painted for us horrendous images and it is saying the day of the Lord, the day when God will judge the world by Jesus Christ, the day when God's just anger, his wrath will be released against all evil. That day is the most terrifying day. There will be great tribulations. And when that happens, the bloodshed and the destruction you and I have heard of and have witnessed in our history so far pales in comparison. They are merely pointing us to the greater horror when Jesus returns to judge and to punish all evildoers. And on that day, not a single enemy of God can escape and will escape. I think that's the big picture of Revelation 6. And friends, I think I need to hear this. You need to hear this. The world needs to hear this. Revelation 6 is saying, Judgment Day is real. Take the horrors of war and famines and death today as warning signs that the most horrific, most terrifying day has yet to come, but will come. Our Creator, the one who made us, our God, He is just, He is righteous, He is upright. He is without a single hint of injustice at all. He does not tolerate any evil or injustice, any lies or deceptions or corruptions. Evildoers will not get away with it. They will not walk free. He will judge them and he will punish every single one of them. So the question is not whether there will be judgment, but how can anyone stand before God's judgment throne? 
how can anyone stand in the face of God's rightful wrath against evil? How can anyone survive the terrifying day of the Lord? Let us now take a look at chapter 7 and see what it says. 7 verse 1. After this, you ready? 7 verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any three. Here we see God deliberately holding back something, isn't it? God is holding back here. He's holding back his judgment, his wrath, his anger, and he's holding back the destructive tribulations. The question is why? Why is he holding all this back? Well, it is being explained to us in the next two visions. The first vision is given to us is the vision of the 144,000. Take a look at 7 verse 2. 7 verse 2. Then I saw, he saw again, I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our Lord, of our God, on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed, sealed from airy tribes from the sons of the sons of Israel. I think the point is this. God is holding back the disasters and the calamities until after all his servants have been sealed. That is, we see here, some people on this earth are sealed and preserved. They will have no fear. There will be no fear for them throughout the days of suffering and tribulations, as well as on the great day of judgment. Why? Because God has marked them out to be protected from his wrath. He has sealed them. 144,000 does not mean exactly 144,000. No more or no less will be saved and sealed. No, he's using numbers symbolically here. He's saying, no power in heaven or on earth can touch those that God has marked. Yes, they will suffer, but they will also be preserved through their tribulations. And they will add to the complete number of God's kingdom. For God counts... God knows and God cares for every single one. Not a single one will be lost. And then we are given the second vision, a vision of the great multitude from verse 9. From verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. 
And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and the might and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I say to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out from the great tribulations. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and there will, he will guide them to the springs of the living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The second vision makes the same point as the first vision that we have seen, but with a different emphasis on it. And the point is this. God's ultimate unbearable wrath and judgment is surely coming against all evildoers. But in his mercy, he protects his people from that wrath. And we see here, those he protects are being pictured for us as a multitude. A multitude a great multitude from every nation, every tribe, and every language. That is, it comprises of all peoples of the earth, regardless of what colors they are or what language. It is the fulfillment of Genesis 12. Notice that in chapter 6, how does chapter 6 end? Chapter 6 ends with verse 16, with the people of the earth, regardless of their status, whether rich or poor, whether they are kings or generals, all of them crying out, Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. Great is the day of wrath. Who can stand? That is their cry at the end of chapter 6. Here in chapter 7, verse 9, what do we see? we see a great multitude. A great multitude is not merely standing before the throne. They are clothed in white robe. They stand victorious before the throne. They are holding palm branches. That is, they stand celebrating before the throne. But how can this be happening? How is it possible? How can anyone stand before the just and righteous God and yet survive his wrath? Well, the second vision made it very clear for us, isn't it? Verse 10, it says, The great multitude attributes their salvation to who? To God. It is God, the slain lamb, who has saved them. How and why? Verse 14, it says, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That is, they washed their robes, they have victory. How do they have victory? By the blood of the Lamb. That is, it is not by their own power that they are victorious. It is not by their own achievement 
that they are washed, but by the blood of the Lamb. By his blood, the slain Lamb, Jesus Christ, ransomed men for God. The point is this. The wrath of God has already been visited upon this multitude in the person of their substitute, the Lamb who was slain. United to the Lamb, now by faith, this multitude now lives in Christ and therefore can stand before the throne of God and they can serve him night and day in his temple because the blood of the Lamb has washed them clean. Chapter 8, verse 1, the last seal, seventh seal, says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I'm not sure about you, but I wasn't expecting the last seal to be like that. Were you? I was expecting it to be climatic. I was expecting God to bring the biggest and the strongest tribulation that he has in his emanation and just whack it down. His complete wrath. Maybe that was just influenced by Terminators that I watch. But that's not what we see here in the last seal. What do we see? We just see silence. Complete silence. Why? This is what I think happens. Well, I think, having seen the vision that we have seen in chapter 6, which is the great and horrible and horrific tribulations, and then in chapter 7, we see the great multitude, I think my guess is that God's great redeemed multitude, together with the angels, they are all standing in awe of what God has done for them in Christ instead of facing the well-deserved, horrible destruction that they well-deserved, they now stand awaiting resurrection and glorification. And in the face of such great salvation, they were merely speechless, standing in awe, trying to digest exactly what God has done for them. Unlike those who will be screaming and crying in terror, for the rocks to fall on them, the sealed ones are simply standing in awe of God. They are standing in awe of the slain lamb, who is their mighty rock, who is their rock of ages, who is their refuge in the coming wrath. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, by his mercy, we are those who are sealed. We are those who will be protected from the coming wrath, not because of our own works, but because by God's grace, the slain lamb, his blood, has washed us clean and we can stand before God despite of all the evils that we have done. God's grace, that's all we have to hang on. Let me pray before we sing together to praise him for his greatness. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that salvation belongs to you and you alone who sits upon the throne unto the Lamb who was slain for us. Father, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be unto you forever and ever. For you have redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb for your glory 
you have rescued us from the deserved wrath for the evil that we have done. Thank you, God. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>